Hello and welcome to the 12th episode of the Rethink Wireless podcast, where our Wireless Watch team talks about some of the week's developments. I'm Luke Brown, an analyst, and with me now are our principal analysts, Caroline Gabriel and Phil Hunter. Hello. Hello. In today's episode, Caroline will discuss Nokia's Q4 and full year 2022 report, and Phil will take a look at the state of vehicle to everything um, connection. Let's start with you, Caroline. Before we get into last year's results, let's look at some context. What was the financial situation like for Nokia um, over the past few years, and especially how was it coming into 2022? Uh, yes, so the context for this is um, you know, Nokia announced their quarterly and full year results just recently, and uh, it was really a very strong set of results um, coming after some difficult years for um, for Nokia. Um, Nokia and Ericsson tend to behave a bit like one of those weather houses where you know, one figure's out in the sun and one isn't. They, they oddly keep swapping. So at the minute, Ericsson's in a bit of a downturn and Nokia's really coming up in terms of its financial performance. Um, it's been through uh, quite a painful um, restructuring, the latest in the whole sequence of reorganisations that it's had. But um, but the results are really starting to show now, um, particularly in its revenue. So for the quarter, its revenues were up 16% year on year. For the year, up 12%. It's a bit less if you look at constant currency, um, obviously there was currency movements that affect both Nokia and Ericsson. Um, but, but general trend uh, very much upwards for Nokia. I think uh, what was most encouraging for Nokia's partners and investors was that there was very strong um, performance from the mobile networks division. Um, and that's been quite challenged over the last three years or so. Um, Nokia delivered a, a, initially a 5G RAN solution uh, that underperformed um, because of the, the chip architecture they'd chosen. Um, and this was a, a massive setback. It cost them their CEO at the time. Um, it meant that just at a time when Huawei was disadvantaged um, by uh, various restrictions on buying Huawei in, in quite a lot of countries, uh, Nokia should have been able to take advantage of that, and they couldn't fully because they didn't have um, a really robust solution. So they've spent a lot of time re-engineering that RAN solution. They've now got something that's very credible, uh, and they're winning a, a lot of customers. They've been uh, played a big part in the expansion of the mobile networks of AT&T and T-Mobile uh, in the United States, for instance. So they're seeing the mobile division coming back. Um, I, mean, I think we can say that over the last... Uh, couple of years Nokia's results have been better than they might have been given that 5G situation because they've been the results are very much propped up by their um, their fixed line business uh, which at one point was looking to get uh, to overtake mobile and actually become larger traditionally it's uh, somewhat smaller than the mobile networks business um, Nokia's looking for mobile to be its biggest source of growth in the next year the year just starting um, so Probably mobile will um, will grow again relative to the, the fixed line business, but that fixed line business has been uh, an absolute lifesaver um, for Nokia in recent years, uh, and has still got some growth in it. Nokia's own predictions are that mobile will grow at four percent next year, which is well above 
the overall prediction for the mobile networks business as a whole, which is pretty much flat. Um, so that's quite an ambitious, it sounds small, but it's actually quite an ambitious target. Um, but they're also, they're looking for fixed line to grow at 3% um, and, and enterprise to grow at about um, 3%. So, you know, so, so uh, there isn't too much difference between them. But yeah, they're very much looking to capitalise on big 5G rollouts um, in the year ahead, particularly in India. Um, any other highlights or maybe even uh, underperformers, um, areas where they'd have thoughts might end up better? Yes, um, there are some sort of colder winds blowing in that fixed line business. Um, the It's a very important business because Nokia has far fewer competitors than they do in mobile. Ericsson doesn't play in that business. Um, so really in fixed broadband networks, um, Nokia and Huawei are by a very long way the biggest players in the world. Um, so, but the, the the problem with the business is that an awful lot of fixed broadband deployments um, have been done and are sort of coming to the end of their cycle. And of course, they last a lot longer than mobile networks. Mobile networks, you know, get upgraded after about ten years. Uh, fibre networks can carry on for an awfully long time with minimal updating. So. Uh, I think so. There's there's a sort of more difficult time ahead for that's for the access side um, of Nokia's fixed business. It's not showing too much yet. Um, the results the results were were respectable, um, but we'd expect that to be a bit more under pressure. Um, and that's why, of course, Nokia is very keen for the mobile business to to really pick up now after the challenges of the recent years. One of some of the highlights in their smaller businesses was certainly the enterprise business. I mean, Nokia has put a, a lot of effort into building their enterprise business over recent years, as we've talked about in previous podcasts. And that's been one of the ways that they've tried to um, kind of offset the the, um, the the challenges of their their 5G missteps. Um, so enterprise, while it's it's still a lot smaller um, than, the, than their major businesses, it, it's growing quickly. Um, Nokia has developed direct-to-enterprise propositions and cloud-based propositions well as going through um, traditional carrier routes uh, and in the fourth quarter their enterprise sales went up by about almost 40 percent year on year so that was a big leap um, for the whole year it's about just over 20 percent uh, so from a relatively small base that's growing quickly um, the other area did quite well was Nokia Technologies um, which is their patent and licensing business um, that also saw some good growth. Um, Nokia, as we talked about elsewhere in, in this week's issue, actually, um, Nokia's concluded several big patent licensing deals recently, including one with Samsung. So that's a very nice, steady source of income um, for them. So all, all round good results, but probably some caution ahead around the fixed line business. Um, what about Ericsson? How does this... Um compare um you say they're they're always on opposite sides of of the spectrum um was that yes they do tend to be um and since nokia acquired alcatel lucent and and with that they got this huge fixed line business um that sort of explains the contrast between them in the recent years um because as we said fixed uh, networks and mobile networks have very different cycles of investment. So if you've got both, um, you, you can 
you know, hopefully they, they follow each other, whereas Ericsson is very mobile-centric. Um, and so it, it's very dependent on, uh, on the sort of pace of adoption of new mobile networks. So Ericsson had a very challenging quarter. Um, and in fact, the whole of last year was, um, was difficult. They're predicting their mobile networks business to be flat this year, whereas Nokia is, as we said, predicting about 4% growth. Um, and, and this is serious for a company who is so dependent on mobile networks. Um, they've been hit by the delays by most operators to implement 5G standalone. That's been far, far slower than expected. That's hit both companies, but Nokia had more other businesses to, uh, to sort of counteract that disappointment. Um, so that's been, that's been a big issue for Ericsson. Both companies are seeing a shift away from North American investment in mobile networks, which tends to be very high, expensive, very high margin, um, towards big roll-ups but by companies that spend less money on their networks, particularly Indian operators. So both Ericsson and Nokia will benefit greatly from the big Indian 5G roll-ups this year, but there won't be the same level of revenue and profit attached to those as there were to the big American um, deployments. So there's a lot of geographical shifting around um, and as I say there's some delays that are and all of this is hitting Ericsson more than Nokia because Ericsson is more reliant on the 5G business and and uh, Ericsson has built up its enterprise business much more um, slowly than Nokia. It spent uh, some years building enterprise business but going only through carriers um, so not targeting the private networks business or um, enterprises that want to uh, sort of own their own networks. They've just started doing that and they're building um, quite a strong new enterprise proposition around their acquisition of uh, Cradlepoint and Vonage. But, you know, it's a very small part of their business at the moment. It'll take a couple of years at least before that is really visible um, in their results. So Ericsson's in a, uh, you know, a, a down cycle at the moment. But... Given the challenges that Huawei faces, Ericsson is you know, unchallenged now as a mobile network market leader. So once 5G standalone picks up, even though Nokia has a much better 5G offering than it did, um, I think we can be confident that Ericsson has the scale to be uh, to really take advantage of standalone when it starts. I think they have been cautious about this year because they were bitten last year and expecting it to be quicker than it was. But... Um, 2024 to 2025, certainly at briefing, we're saying that, um, that that will be the tipping point for standalone. Um, and standalone isn't just about deploying a 5G core, although that's a good source of, of revenue and also services, but it's, it also involves um, expanding and densifying the brand network and updating all the base stations and so on. So there's, there's a lot of work for a company like Ericsson, both in supplying equipment and also um, services. So I... I think they have Ericsson probably has another rather difficult year um, for different reasons to Nokia. So if we're saying 2024-25 um, standalone will be built out and that, that will be a new source. Um, is there is there nothing to look forward to for 2023? Um, yeah, good question. Um, yes, there is. I mean, for both of them, there's this enterprise market growth. Um, and they're now the this is the year when probably we expect a lot of the 5G enterprise networks to start being procured. 
um, Nokia's huge leadership in private cellular networks is largely 4G based. So their challenge is to try to uh, build an equally successful business in 5G. Um, but that won't be so much upgrading 4G networks, which will probably last for some while yet. It'll be about building new customers and expanding their market. And they'll have a lot more competition this time, not just from Ericsson, but also companies like Cisco who are getting into that market. Um, but they've both got that opportunity. There's a lot of growth in that market. And um, so uh, we would expect them to focus on on that um, to, to, to build growth. Um, and of course, they're there may be it may be slow progress on 5G standalone, but there's still a lot of 5G non-standalone um, and also 4G expansion. And so you know, we shouldn't forget that um, 5G, by most industry estimates, uh, will not overtake 4G in terms of its installed base until um, quite late in this decade. Um, so operators are still expanding uh, their 4G coverage. Um, there are quite a lot of operators that haven't really done very much 4G yet. Maybe they've just done city centres and, and now they're starting to do national coverage. Um, so there's there's a lot of mobile network business that isn't 5G standalone. Um, and Ericsson, as we said, is well positioned there, especially in markets where there are not huge budgets. Um, Ericsson has a lot of scale um, and it can, it can price in a very flexible way. And in some of these markets, and India is a very good example, um, Huawei, who are even better at scale and at flexible pricing, um, you know, they're, they're being sidelined now. Um, that's mainly in 5G, but it's having a knock-on effect on 4G build-outs. A lot of operators just thinking we'd better be cautious and do 4G with non-Chinese vendors as well so that we don't have to do a big change um, in the day when we get to 5G. Um, so certainly there are opportunities, but I think all the opportunities that are available this year are somewhat challenged in terms of the margin um, that they have uh, compared to the margins that Ericsson and Nokia have been used to in been doing big macro network rollouts in markets like the United States. And uh, I'm guessing similar opportunities for, for Nokia as well over the coming year. Yes, yes, I think... Um, I think in that way, they'll be chasing similar markets. Uh, as I say, obviously, Nokia has the additional um, target in the fixed line. And although the the fixed access market is slowing, there are uh, there will certainly be, be big upgrades to transport networks, again, to support 5G capacity uh, and to support converged networks. And um, some of those, uh, those deployments that advanced operators are doing, um, and so Nokia's opportunity there is um, is, is high. I mean, they have a very strong, um, very strong um, fixed IP and optical um, offering. Uh, they have quite a lot of competitors in the transport market, more than they have in fixed access. But this is going to be a growth market for a few years. And uh, Nokia, unlike Ericsson, um, has products to offer there. OK, thanks for that, Caroline. Um, let's get to you now, Phil. Um, you wrote a piece about um, vehicle to everything connectivity. Um, what can we imagine under the terms V2X and CV2X and DSRC? Mm. Yes, thank you, Luke. And, um, and this is something we've been covering quite a bit in Wireless Watch lately. And in fact, we have our, our sort of um, sister division, RAN Research, has a report on automotive connectivity coming up which will be should be 
published in March, which will delve into great detail in some of, some of these themes. But um, if you take a step, step back first for um, those less familiar with automotive connectivity, um, I mean, the, the generic term is a vehicle to everything, V2X, and um, that's been a term that's been on the table for two decades now. But, I mean, if you ask the average driver even today what they understood by V2X, they probably talk about well, satellite connectivity, GPS or GNSS, the generic term. They talk about internet connectivity, and um, this is something that's been available in some cars for about, about 14 years now. Um, I think um, it was in 2009 when Mercedes um, introduced a, in their in the higher-end models. Um, well, essentially, they had Wi-Fi routers on board with a SIM card for the internet connectivity. And so a, a Wi-Fi hotspot sort of serving passengers with infotainment and, of course, also the network used for starting being used for over-the-air updates and so on. And this has sort of rolled out through the automotive sector ever since. But it's been through um, usually ad hoc arrangements between the manufacturer, or OEM as we call them, and a particular cellular operator. And um, in parallel with this, we've had emerging what you might call the, uh, the V2X platform. And... Um, that initially, at least, described only local communications between the car and roadside infrastructure, and not, are not what are not the are not the sort of public cellular access as we were talking about there in the Mercedes and so on. And it, and it began with the Wi-Fi derived version known as DSRC, and it had done the and and, and in the, and in in Europe it had the different name CITS, but commonly used generic term there. Um, but uh, So Wi-Fi had a head start here, but it, it, it applied only to, again, sort of communication between roadside infrastructure um, use, uh, using sort of um, frequencies in the 5.9 gigahertz area. And, uh, and it, it was sold very much for sort of, um, well, for safety, really, in the, in, 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 in the first place. And, you know, since then, we've had... Um, expansion in the in the scope for sort of over the air updates um sort of um, taking over for the infotainment becoming and becoming the car platform for all connectivity which by definition is wireless in the last mile although of course actually in the vehicle you've got wired communications connecting sensors and of course as we said wi-fi as well um and um so from about 2014, the cellular industry decided that this was going to be an important market that it needed to get into, and also it would be able to exploit the synergy between the local communication and the public um, network access, which again, as I said, by definition, would have to be cellular anyway. So they came up with the cellular version, which is called CV2X, cellular V2X, and initially that sort of started on the back foot, but has since emerged. and that, as we will come on to in a minute, it, um, really then connects the, the sort of wider communication over the cellular with the local roadside communication. And um, that then became sort of wrapped up with this sort of movement towards autonomous driving, which sort of um, 
was and it came along with a wave of optimism around about eight years ago and was sort of separated into a sort of series of five levels of evolution and the level that we're sort of perhaps even only approaching today is that level three is where the driver sort of um can actually hand over control to the onboard vehicle systems for steering braking and essentially everything but it has to be has to be there ready to take over at once when some exception occurs and it's going to take quite a long time to move to level four when the driver can essentially go and have a nap or level five when effectively the car doesn't need to have anybody on, on board at all so you have the, the idea of um Uber taxis that you can simply summon, they'll just roll up on their own, you know, that kind of thing. That, that I suspect is still a long way off. So what's effectively happened is that um, CV2X and the Wi-Fi version have sort of really been positioned as serving, um, uh, improving road safety. And of course, at the same time, and, and, it, and it's fairly clear that given that 95 to 98% of road accidents are the result of human error, that there is huge scope for improving road safety. And, and yet the paradox is that it is safety considerations that is holding back the emergence, because in a sense, though it's considered quite unacceptable for accidents to happen and people to die purely as a result of some system fault, that in that particular instance, a human would not have been guilty of if you think it mean so it's got to be seen to be much much safer than um driving at present in order to roll out um and and so anyway um so it is a, what we call automated driver assistance ada which essentially comprises a lot of the components you need for self driving which are now sort of really sort of driving the market things like emergency braking steering guidance on motorways even when the driver's still there you know if you try and come out in front of a car or move lanes you'll get a sort of warning sign or some little movement on the wheel and so on so that's really about the stage we're at um, at the moment i would say in in the piece you mentioned um two components of cv2x um what what are they yes well as, as, I, as i was saying i mean There's two. There are two sides to V2X. One is the local communication, which is the roadside infrastructure, sensors that might be just around the bends, so and you, you you can have, get some vision beyond line of sight, which for automated systems enables actions to be taken even when you're not um, in sight of an oncoming driver, say. And of course, um, a driver can be alerted to hazards that are out of sight in that way. And then you've got this sort of The, long, the sort of internet access, which is what we've already had in many cars, um, and 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 so in the case of um, CV2X, the internet access part this, um, over the cellular public public network has been called the network mode or mode three, and and that um, could in future there should be sort of some uh, could could in a sense, be a dedicated connection within a public network via network slice, seeing as you've got network slicing coming in for those sort of capabilities, but I haven't actually heard of that particularly happening. So that's for communication between the vehicle and remote systems. And so that would take over from what we've already had with these ad hoc arrangements, delivering infotainment, navigation information, upload data for analytics purposes and over-the-air updates for software and so on. And then the other one is the direct mode, 
Um, so I did not say silly mode with mode three, but don't mode mode four for communication among vehicles or with nearby components by the roadside, as I said. And, and one of the interesting applications coming along would be sort of um, for pedestrians or perhaps cyclists to actually become part of this system so that they can actually, A, provide data to the, the driving systems to alert the uh, uh, um, driving systems, or indeed drivers, that they are there, and B, perhaps to receive alerts themselves of some hazard or, or, or approaching vehicle and so on. And this is all um, just like the Wi-Fi version is sort of out of, is in the 5.9 gigahertz band mostly, and indicate, of course, in in the cellular context, that's described as being out of band because it's not part of the actual cellular network. And it's sometimes, probably more often, it's referred to as side link communication for that reason, because it's sort of, as it were, out of the side rather than the front into the mobile network. And, and you know, we hear side link used in other contexts, but here it's... Um, um, you mentioned also that um, it's, especially the side link side, that um, their maturity concerns. Um, what do they revolve around? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That's, I mean. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That's. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, um, some anybody may have, <laughs> may have been guilty of thinking that essentially it was all there. You know, okay. Okay. Then we, we move towards successive generations of cellular, but they, that the side link side was all sort of really tied up and wouldn't sort of change that much more within the standard. But in actual fact, um, in, as it was initially defined, I think in, in, in 3GPP release 14, when it came out in 2015, the assumption was that, that side link messages would be largely sort of fairly predictable, sort of uh, um, whereby vehicles and infrastructure would signal to each other as everything went along, so that you'd be having periodic signals. And... Um, this would be used to deliver safety critical messages, which in C2X, in CV2X parlance, there's sort of several categories of message in exchange. These are the fundamental messages within which that are used to rapidly up these different sort of communications between sensors and so on. And one of them is called Cooperative Awareness Message, or CAM, and another Decentralized Environmental Notification, DENM. And, um, as I said, when um, CV2X first came out, it was assumed that these messages would be periodic, essentially, uh, sent at specified intervals, which made it very much easier to uh, uh, arrange the sort of radio network to accommodate them and plan capacity and so on. But as um, as sort of trials have taken place and um, CV2X has been deployed among two cases, um, and tried out, for example, um, in platooning, which is one of the use cases for autonomous driving, where you've got, say, a, a group of lorries traveling convoy down the motorway. And the idea it would be that the, only the front vehicle would have a driver. I mean, there's still some issues with that. I don't know how, what happens when you come off the motorway. A lorry gets stuck, stuck behind traffic lights and gets separated from its fellows. For example. But, but, but anyway, these are sort of things being worked out. But it does turn out when you sort of think of these use cases that you need to have sort of also some un slightly more unpredictable messaging going on what we call aperiodic traffic and so um, um, 
side link communications has to be upgraded, as it were, and enhanced to enable that. And that's been the subject, as I described in Wireless Watch um, this week. It's been subject to various research papers that have come out in the last year. So, so almost by definition, that means that they're not exactly in the standards yet. So, in other words, the point is that um, CV2X has some way to go to actually, one could say, actually deliver the basic platform for the, the highest level of safety. So uh, there is a case there of saying, well, it's not quite yet ready for prime time, you might say. Um, what's what's the issues um, with aperiodic uh, transmissions? Well, I mean, uh, is, 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 there, is there unpredictability? So, so um, it means that you need to have um, some schemes that actually enable them to be supported in a robust, reliable way that um, works within the capacity you've got available. And um, a num one of the, there was one method I saw in the paper recently, it was called interference prediction and, and, on the, and uh, with multi-interval extension. So essentially the, the idea was that the um, vehicles would be aware to some extent of what's going on around them in terms of other vehicles trying to communicate and try and predict when interference might occur when uh, and when certain actions need to be taken. So it's a bit like some of the measures we have for sort of dealing with congestion on networks. So, so you need to have some awareness of what's going on and you can do certain things to mitigate right, sort of caching and so on. So it's sort of, um, I mean, these things are still work in progress, but um, the idea is that you, you have some control over when interference is occurring and you can do your best to sort of focus on what's important to um, communicate so and so on. when do you think um, can we expect kind of fully reliable um, CV2X um, so say how many more um, paper comes out um, was applied to technology technology matures we find a new problem how many more of those of those cycles do you think will need yeah to no, good point. I mean, um, of course, um, nobody knows, but it, it, it looks to me as if, I mean, obviously the protocols will ne are never going to be cast in stone. There's always going to be new things that need to be capable. But I think essentially, if you're looking at these developments coming out along, the, the, I, I, I'd have thought there'd be a robust platform in uh, a year or two that'd be sort of fairly final and a good basis for that march toward autonomous driving. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's clear that a lot more testing is going to be needed. I mean, it's um, of, of of the different methods before they'll be fixed. And um, it, it, uh, you know, I, 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 I think the point is, you if if you wait for um, any platform to be um, robust and reliable enough to satisfy everybody, it would never get deployed. So I think, um, but, but I, th I think there's a case for saying that we need to wait until it's in, in, you know, advanced a little bit more before we can say this is fit for sort of, say level four and level five autonomous driving. That is when essentially the driver can sort of hand over completely and sort of switch off, you know, so that they're not ready to come they're not ready to take over the wheel okay. immediately. So. Um, yeah, well, I thanks. Um, thank you for that as well, Phil. Um, this is it for uh, Rethink Wireless for this week. 
Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wireless Watch podcast. And of course, we hope you'll join us again next week as well. Thank you. And it's bye-bye from me. And bye-bye from me. Thank you. Goodbye.